Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. How are you doing, Adam? I ate an upsetting amount of teriyaki about mm. an hour ago, and I'm still feeling it. Wow. <laughs> Why I did feel, you do that? <laughs> I feel like I have dry mouth. Like, I, I cannot drink enough water. I'm yeah, just, like, that- pounding water. That is a salt bomb. Yeah, that's how Done I'm right, doing. that's a salt bomb. Right. I had some risotto in the freezer that I uh, took out and heated up for lunch today. And then I was just like KO'd after it. Like we were, I ha- I like sat down at noon to watch my Star Trek in preparation for recording today with my bowl of risotto. And after I finished eating it, I was like, I was like unbelievably tired. Is that something that carbs do? They like fatigue you? I yeah, uh, they they sure do. I'm shocked that you froze risotto. I just made like way too much of it one time. You gotta Arancini that shit, man. I do that sometimes, and then I'll like uh, put them on a salad for lunch, mm. which I'm a fan of. But this was a volume of risotto <laughs> that I was just I did not believe in myself to get through it in time before it went bad. It know? is. God, risotto can really be a brick. And so, yeah. yeah, I think I think the outcome was preordained for you, Ben. I was looking at like a week of eating risotto for like two meals most days for an entire week. And I just, I couldn't. Just no good. I had to freeze. I had to freeze. <laughs> That's a death sentence, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> My God, what happened to this man? Yeah. It was good though. It had, uh, it had, uh. Sweet Italian sausage, pumpkin, and asparagus in it. I am not a sweet person when it comes to sausage or pickles. They're not actually sweet. They're just not spicy, Adam. <laughs> sweet Italian sausage. It's just not it's just not the calabrese. All right. All right. It's just a sausage. It's a it's a neutral sausage. It's I'm just herby... stating a preference, and you're just fucking piling on me, man. Yeah, and I'm saying you need to broaden your horizons and go buy yourself a chub pack of sweet Italian sausage and get with the program because they're perfectly good. <laughs> what, the spicy I... ones are also really good. I just sometimes don't get the spicy kind. Hey, I'm Benjamin R. Harrison. I'm going to buy an entire chub package of sweet sausage and eat it twice a day for an entire week until I die. Yeah, yeah. That's not the way to enjoy anything, Ben. (laughs) I have a freezer full of delights, Adam. I can make all kinds of great lunches for myself with the drop of a hat. I keep my delights in my nightstand where they belong. (laughs) I fucking hope you don't have spicy Italian sausages in your nightstand. Ben, I've got got a proposition for you. (laughs) A new segment is what I'm proposing. Yeah, I I loved your character on The Wire, Proposition Adam. (laughs) You uh, you made it look like you were running an electronics repair shop, but really you were running the whole west side of Baltimore. They cut my character out of the show. Deep, <laughs> it did not test well at all. <laughs> More confusing than anything. Ben, I'm holding in my hand a pad of Star Trek Mad Libs, known to you, me, and everyone else as the world's greatest word game. This was a mail call 
in I guess it was the last episode. Friend of DeSoto sent these in. So I propose, as I lick the tip of my pencil, that we play a little game. Yeah, let's do let's do a Mad Lib. One, two. And you people, you're all some kind of Star Trek. Mad Lib. Mad Lib. Some kind of Star Trek. Mad Lib. Are they TOS? Are they like a particular era, or do they span all eras? Oh, uh, it looks like it looks like it's TOS. That's what it I looks like to me. I would say like that a. Me. A discomforting amount of Star Trek merchandise is TOS. Mm. You know? Yeah. Give me that TNG merch. That's not my Star Trek, Ben. Yeah. It's just not. But 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 we'll mad lib it. Ben, first question. First thing I need is a place. Give me a place. Risa. Now give me a noun. EPS conduit. And now a silly word. Loaf. Does it? It doesn't tell you what part of speech. It just wants something silly. It just wants a silly word. Yeah, I hope I hope loaf is silly enough. Now I need a number. Forty-seven. And now a verb. What tense? Present. Like, I guess to that, phaser. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Put it in whatever. Plural noun. Dabo girls. Noun. Glass table. Plural noun. <laughs> Holodex. Animal. Targ. Adjective. Last one. Cybernetic. See, I'm giving you TNG answers for a TOS Mad Lib, and I'm, I'm realizing that there could be great folly in that. You're trying to own the libs, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see how it works out as I read to you the most famous intro ever, and I'm going to need some musical accompaniment. Mm. Risa. The final EPS conduit. <laughs> These are the voyages of the Starship Loaf. It's 47-year mission to phaser strange new Dabo girls, <laughs> to seek out new glass tables and new holodecks, to boldly go where no Targ has gone before. Pretty fun. And then cue cybernetic music is the parenthetical at the end. Wow. You did it, Ben. Hey. I think that's a lot of fun. That, it's that short felt very and sweet. on brand for our show. Yeah. Yeah, that works for me. Very fun. Well, uh, do you want to get into the episode now that we've had some fun? Yeah, let's fill in the blanks on season four, episode eight of Deep Space Nine The Sword <laughs> of Kirsch. <laughs> <laughs> If you if uh, if you don't listen to the greatest discovery, you don't even know what happened just now. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. A Lavar Burton directed episode, Ben. A Lavar Burton directed episode in some familiar Star Trek settings. Yeah. So we start with uh, with our buddy Kor, the Dahar Master, relating a battle story. At Quark's bar, talking about some some uh, excitement that took place on maybe like Mustafar. <laughs> Worf is dropping some eaves on this guy, and uh, and uh, he and he and Quark kind of connect over feeling weird about this, right? Yeah, because Quark's problem is that all of the stories are sad or or blood filled in yeah. a way he doesn't like. 
Nobody, nobody is earning a margin on anything in this story. And Worf sort of sees these as the fish tales that they are. Right. Dax comes over to Worf and she's like, oh, let me introduce you to my good time buddy, Kor. We've gone on adventures together in the past. And Worf doesn't want to because uh, pariah status <laughs> seems to be back in effect. Yeah. I can never keep track of when Worf is and isn't a pariah. <sighs> you, me both. It really, I think, mostly has to do with how he's carrying himself, which I think is something that you and I can learn from. Uh, Pariah status comes from within, clearly. (laughs) I mean, I just thought it was funny because, like, I don't know, like, I guess this became an issue when he came on the show and, like, helped the Federation kind of one-up the Klingons, but I kind of missed it, I suppose. Anyways. Dex does Worf a solid, though, right? Dax sees that Worf is is off on his own, like sitting in a puddle of his own shame, and uh, makes the introduction. She's a good wingman. Prune juice and shame. It's a hell of a combination. And Kor and Worf hit it off because they both dislike Gowron, so they're both uh, anti-Rons. Yeah, yeah. I've never seen a, a Klingon say, Pleasure to meet you. <laughs> right, that was so weird. <laughs> Like, nice, sturdy handshake and a couple of pumps. Like, where's Mm -hmm. Kor from? (laughs) You read, like, uh, How to Make Friends and Influence People since we last met him. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, one thing I noticed in this scene having to do with this handshake is that uh, Kor's hands are smooth. And I think if you know you're going to be shooting hands close up, you got to make Kor's hands a little coarser than, than... a man who has been washing dishes his entire career, you know? Yeah, yeah. he looks like he ain't never did work. Yeah. And, uh, and that's not, you know, we, what we know about Kor is that he, he swings his own batleth. What we come to know about Kor is that he's looking for the sword of Kalos. Yeah, as, as he unfolds this, uh, you know, like, and Worf has heard of Kor's legend. He's, got, he's pretty famous as a Dahar master. Uh, Worf is like, can't we just reproduce the sword the way we reproduced Kalos? Like, we can <laughs> we can make that in a lab. It's probably a lot easier. Replicated sword? Yeah. As Kor talks about the, the quest that he's on to recover the sword, we get some real great vintage Worf eyes. <laughs> yeah. Dusting them off. Yeah, it's really, it's it's fun to have them back on the show as another main cast character. He kind of Keenan reacts. They're very, re- <laughs> they're very re- related to what Keenan Thompson does on SNL. I think. <laughs> yeah, where do you think Keenan got it? Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Should be Worf reacts. Mm-hmm. The pitch here is that uh, while Clone Kalos is technically the Emperor, all of the power lies in Gowron's hand, and neither of these guys is super hot for what Gowron is up to these days. So the if they got the sword of Kalos, they could get it back and give it to the emperor. They would be, you know, hailed as uh, as heroes of the of, of the realm and the emperor could kind of like summon political power to himself and uh and and rebuke the bad leadership that is Gowron cuz uh, apparently the emperor was not for the whole invade Cardassia thing <laughs> that the Klingons attempted. The debacle. Kind of like, yeah, kind of got publicly defied, which, uh, you know, 
not a great look to to have the emperor make his uh, his wishes clear and then get ignored. Right. Yeah, it appears as though there's kind of a sword in the stone story being told here. Like whoever possesses the sword of Kalis is going to either be imbued with a great amount of power or have the ability to give that power to someone else. Right. So uh so Worf is like, yeah, like this could be like this is worth this is worth fighting and dying for. Like this is a great quest to go on. And uh and I will gladly join join up with you guys. If you'll have me. Like he's still very deferential to Core here. Yeah. But Core is a fucking drunk and he needs Dax and Worf just to keep him upright. <laughs> right. Yeah, Dax does the grown-up thing of like I've had enough fun for the evening so i'm gonna call it i'm not gonna have that last drink that everybody always regrets having ordered i have become the master of this i've become so much the master of this that you've made fun of me for <laughs> example not drinking the hoof <laughs> yeah you're the you're the master of going to vegas and having a medium amount of fun <laughs> Really cool, Adam. That is, God, that's cold, but true. <laughs> that's why it hurts so much. So, Dax splits. Cor dumps the remainder of her blue drink into his blood wine. <laughs> you do not want to be graveyarding drinks in that fashion, right? <laughs> No, because that's probably like uh, that's probably like a, a Romulan spritz or something like that, and uh, and you add that to blood wine, which we know to be like extremely potent. Of <laughs> course, like this tastes exactly like a Long Island iced tea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyways, the uh, yeah, and and I guess Worf is just drinking prune juice. Unclear. He does not seem like he's been partying, that's for sure. No, but Worf never parties. He's not a not he's not into having fun in that way. He's like Vegas Adam, according to you? Yeah, pretty much. He's like uh you, Vegas you, Adam's a ton of fun. You don't know. You go you go get him a hoof full of frozen <laughs> margarita, you give it to him. Instead of going like, Hell yeah, hoofarita, he goes, Fuck you, man, I've been trying to maintain. Let's be clear. I, we keep litigating this over and over again. My problem was not the hoof. My problem was not the idea of the beverage. My problem was specifically margarita. Like that, that was a liter of margarita you were giving me. You were giving me diarrhea. And that's what I couldn't abide, man. Like I always assume you already have diarrhea. So how could I give you something that you already have? That's fair. You know me very well. <laughs> but but I think in that circumstance, were it to be uh were it to be repeated, a a simple two ingredient cocktail would would be preferred. Sure. I doubt you're ever gonna get me another drink again. Like I think I think I really turned you off to the idea in a way that's unfortunate. I regret it. I'm sorry. I go through life just wishing somebody would give me a frozen margarita <laughs> that I didn't even have to go go to the trouble of ordering and paying for. <laughs> 
That's all I want. I was I was loving my podcast partner the way I would like to be loved. You think Bree and Bill aren't going to be like hammering you with hoofs the entire time we're at Star Trek Las Vegas together? It's going to happen. This is going to be great. It's going to be nothing but smash burgers and hoofs all the way down. Hell yeah. And rolling craps, Ben. Better believe uh, you're going to roll some craps with me. Never going to get that drunk, Adam. How dare you? You roll craps at the end of every show. <laughs> it's, it's the same thing. So stumbling back to his hotel room late at night after presumably quite a bit of craps and hoofs, Cor uh, uh, opens the door and is greeted by our buddy, the Lethian, the guy that, uh, that made Julian Bashir a prisoner of his own mind. I think this is a different Lethian, though, because that Lethian was exploded, right? Oh, yeah. I guess, uh, yeah. But, you know, and and I, I'm i not proud of this, but I have a really hard time telling Lethians apart. Oh, shit. Yeah. Really? Do you want me to cut that out? <laughs> I didn't, I had no idea you were a Lethian racist. Yeah. I mean, they all have, like, the lightning always looks the same to me. I don't they, know. They always want to grab you by both sides of your head. <laughs> Yeah. Like, like classic Lethian, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's a stereotype for a reason, you know? <laughs> How about this show calling back what we thought at the time was going to be a one-trick alien? Right. It's still uh, a one-trick alien, but uh, but but doing the same trick. This uh, Lethian's name is Soto, Ben, who is not a chill boss whatsoever. <laughs> not the best boss I've ever had. No. Is this guy. Soto. Perfectly chill. Yeah. Regular old Soto, not cool. Soto is played by a guy named Tom Morga. And Ben, have you looked up this guy? Tom Morga was in the last episode also. Tom Morga is in a quote-unquote too-many-credits-to-list capacity for Star Trek. Yeah. His resume goes back to the motion picture. He has been in everything do you know what he's the most notable for to me and you? He was the stunt double for Frakes when Admiral Roundhouse Quinn took him over the glass table. Wow. He went through the glass table. Wow. Yeah. Tom Morga is someone that I want to meet at Star Trek Las Vegas. I think we've talked about him before. He's kind of like a Lieutenant J that you don't see his face that much. Like I feel right. like he's often put in loaf. He's freeze frame Lieutenant J. Like he's a real blink if you miss him sort of guy. If you click on uh, on the cast on the like X-ray feature mm-hmm. on Amazon, he's uh, he's it crashes like... the the app as soon as you do. <laughs> no, he's in like a he's in like a hockey mask because I think he played Jason in something. Wow, yeah, good credit. Yeah, but like also funny, amusingly illustrative of how anonymous his face is, you know. So something that happened back in the bar was that Core produced a rag, and this rag is something that he believes belonged to Kalis. It's an artifact. Yeah, it's a Shroud of Turin situation where, like, they look at it and they're like, oh, yeah, the imprint of the sword is right on it. So, like, apparently every Klingon intimately knows what the sword of Kalis, like, the kind of imprint the sword of Kalis would leave on right. rag. Yes. Yes, this held the sword of Kalis. Yeah, and so before they go on this mission with Kor, they need to confirm its authenticity, and this is something that Dax is able to do. Yeah, she uh, she takes it into her lab. She uh, pulls the plastic uh, card out of the case and breaks the breaks the outer case, and uh, 
and reads off the sequence of letters and numbers and can confirm Shroud is authentic. I concur, sir. To be quite honest about it, I was in a pale. I'm talking a pale. Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my living state. I don't use the bucket anymore. They can't go on this field trip before asking Dad for the car. And so they visit Ben Sisko, who is shaving with the same razor as Jordy does in Code of Honor. Yeah, that was really fun to see that again. If you even begin a sentence with, I'm thinking of using a Code of Honor prop in this episode, (laughs) I think that's a conversation ender in a lot of circles around Paramount. I think if, if, especially if you're not a black director asking for it. Yeah. Right? Wow. Everybody would be like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be the one that says yes, you know? It was weird later when Worf, instead of producing a mechleth, took out a spiky bird to use for fighting. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want a lot of Code of Honor references in your in your sci-fi show, I don't think. No, they do a lot to, uh, to minimize the memory of that episode yeah. for yeah. good reason. Yep. God, have you gone back and looked at the reviews of that episode from from Star Trek Legends? No. I like I feel like Jonathan Frakes called it a great big pile of shit or something. <laughs> like they do not pull any punches when they talk about that ep. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised that they even released it to the streaming services to be among the ones that get streamed. It's it's really bad. You can't just delete embarrassing history you know like i i don't know like politicians delete their tweets all the time but but this isn't that like i think i i don't think that they embrace the embarrassment that is that episode but i think yeah i think it's good that it exists as an example of how far the show has come like it's it's like a warning really (laughs) right yeah um yeah the parents of uh of young children that are being groomed to direct episodes of Star Trek tell them about that story at night. (laughs) Mind your P's and Q's or you'll direct something like that. So the story, such as it is, is that the Herc... That part right there when the break, boom, I had to come up with Bongo Rock. Stole the sword and a bunch of other artifacts from Kronosh, which is the... The new Kronos pronunciation that we're getting from Discovery. Yeah. And they've they've put it in a museum inside the G-Quad. And this museum was discovered by Vulcan, a Vulcan survey team there. And so that's that's where they're headed. The Hurt attacked Kronos a thousand years ago and stole a bunch of relics uh, of this kind. The Hurt must be pretty badass, right? I know. And I wondered, like, were the Klingons, like... Kalos had lived and died at that point mm-hmm. in the in the history, so presumably they had a fairly militaristic culture uh, previous to being torn to shreds by the Herc. But uh, but that's something that we've heard them talk about that often, and I can see why. You know, if I think the Not moment proud of what they did when they when the Herc showed up, the moment that Kalish emerges from the Matrix goo. As, as the test tube Klingon that he is, I'd yeah. drive him on over to the Herc. I think they'd find that very surprising. <laughs> hey! <laughs> you again. Um, 
One thing I found, one detail I found funny in this episode was that uh, that Kor has been serving as the ambassador, the Klingon ambassador to Vulcan. Yeah, that has got to be the worst job, right? Like that's that's something that you get when you're trying to be like they're trying to get rid of you. It's like but- being sent to Siberia in uh, in the Russian military or whatever. Kor is not anyone's first pick, right? <laughs> I think we can agree on that. Like, what a fucking mess it must be for him to live on Vulcan. <laughs> like, attempting to behave himself around those guys. Yeah. What a nightmare. Just drunk all the time, and they're like, oh, God, this dude. Jesus. Yeah. He's, he's you know, like, we were given throughout all of Star Trek, like, this picture of the jovial, fun, warrior race of Klingons. But Core fucking sucks. <laughs> The argument for getting to go out on the runabout on the runabout is that this could put the Federation in the position of having provided critical material to the recovery of this sword, and then when the Emperor consolidates power around himself, he would, you know, owe them a favor and maybe the thorn in their side that is Gowron's chancellorship would go away. Yeah. So so Cisco's pretty eager to give the green light to this project, and the uh, the three of them, Dax, Kor, and Worf, head out to the G-Quad. Out in front of the wormhole, Kor attempts to we are the Rio Grande them <laughs> <laughs> in a speech before going in. There's another thing that you won't know if you <laughs> yeah. don't listen to The Greatest Discovery. <laughs> Dax and Worf were like, oh, God, like pinching the bridge of their noses. Like, can we just get on with it, please? <laughs> yeah. Korda is, is, you know, like the self-mythologizing impulse that he has is uh, is something that I think is really fun in this episode. And like at one point he like comes, he was like clearly sleeping one off in the back of the runabout and he comes out and he's like, I just had a fucking great dream. And oh. uh, you were there and you were there. <laughs> Another like, great conversation starter that you never want to hear. Yeah. But Kor loves his dead bros. He really misses uh, King and Koloth. He yeah. wants their statues to come alive and for them to, to ride with him again. Is that a thing that happens? No. <laughs> the statues coming alive thing? He just had a dream. Yeah. And then, uh, and then he had to change his pants and underwear. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds to me like Kor had a little bit of a wet dream. <laughs> Gonna have to go back in the back there and uh, and clean up the the bunk that he was using. <laughs> you think they're hot bunking in the Rio Grande? <laughs> that sounds a, like a this ain't DS Nine title of show, right? Yeah. Do you think Core uh, is playing hide the turd? <laughs> Gross. That's grosser than my comment. Uh, yeah, but they're both the same. They're both references to the same email that we got that one time. Yeah. What are you doing? So they beam down to this planet, and uh, it is a very familiar environment. It's the Star Trek caves. That's right. The, Omar uh, Burton knows how to direct an episode that takes place in Star Trek caves. Outside of stage 17, 
on the lot, there's that plaque of all the things that have been shot there, and it's just 40 <laughs> plaques of Star Trek, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Star Trek The Next Generation. Like, yeah. It's like a wallet full of children's pictures that just like expands yeah. and like hits yeah, yeah, the floor. Yeah, yeah the... the... <laughs> The accordion style credits. <laughs> uh, I feel like that cliff is definitely was definitely in the uh, chain of command. Yeah. Uh, episode like like uh, this all looks very familiar. It's lit a little differently. It's kind of more. Worf neat. was in that episode. He doesn't remember this though. I know. Yeah, he should know these caves like the back of his hand. Yeah, you get a real sense of like Temple of Doom vibes here. I thought like the idea yeah. of recovering something of great like religious or cultural value but what they don't lean into at all is the booby trapification of where they might be i thought that was that would have been an interesting place to take the story but they don't which uh is definitely on your mind because that's a big issue in chain of command yeah yeah and and like there's so many like similar ideas here where there's like oh there's like a force field here or there's a thing that looks like a wall but it's actually a hologram and a force field but they, you know, they they're they're pretty quick to get through the first force field that the Vulc- which the Vulcans did not succeed in getting through. It's like Dax is ten times smarter than the Vulcans. She just like does a little tricording and they setting up. They set up a couple of little uh, little devices at the foot of it and they're through. She's really kind of mean too. She's like fucking dumbass Vulks. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't even get. I've never heard. Here. I've never heard that particular slur, but yeah. She, she never stops using it in this episode. <laughs> it's like, it actually kind of starts to trouble Core. Yeah. He, and he's, he's someone like, who... I, I, I lived on Vulcan for five years, Dax. And she's like, God, the smell <laughs> of those Vulks must have just repulsed you the entire time. Speaking of smells, this show finally describes a smell of, yeah. a, bad, of a bad place. And I love that. Yeah. Foul, isn't it? They get the force field down and, and they're like, oh, gross. <laughs> Yeah. If you were to open up a, a Herc museum of your own, I bet it would it would smell pretty bad in there, huh, Ben? Um, smell like you herking it? <laughs> what is what is herking it in your mind? I don't know. Like uh, like like spinning records, like cool DJ Herc. Kind of sounds like herking it could be uh, could be like jacking it. I don't think I would call my jacking it museum herking it. You know. <laughs> okay. That's just not to say I'm not opening a museum about me jacking it. <laughs> I am. There's, I don't want. I don't want you to get it twisted. I'm definitely. I'm definitely doing that. There's no building that's ever been constructed that would be big enough to house all the exhibits in your <laughs> Herkinet Museum. <laughs> the myriad ways. Yeah. Oh, here's the ruler that shows the furthest he's ever shot. <laughs> here's the hamper full of socks. <laughs> Here's the nested folder system used to hide all the smut on his computer. <laughs> Gross. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so this place stinks, and it's full of broken artifacts, too. Is the new joke that I jack off a ton? <laughs> is, that, is that what you're trying to establish? It's just this episode. We're never going re- to call this back. Not really the case. I think I jack off a fairly normal amount. I'm I'm positive that everything about your sexuality is normal, quote unquote normal, <laughs> within normal parameters. Right. Anyhow, the museum that it's like a ruin of a museum. Right. And uh, and the sword is is in there, 
they initially find a room that seems like it's been tossed by looters and uh they're pretty sure it's not the volks that did the the that uh that looted this room um dax is like i mean those guys are are lowlifes but even even a volk wouldn't do this leave it to the volks to give this place a good tossing and leave it <laughs> leave it as stinky as it is yeah uh, but they they work out that there's like a hologram that looks like a wall, and they uh, they walk through it, and uh, there is the batleth, and this is a a pretty cool prop. It looks great. It looks like one of those chef's knives that aren't forged out of a single piece of steel, but is are instead like folded like a like a Japanese yeah. knife would be. It's like watered steel. Yeah, it looks amazing. It's a great except prop. for it's murdered out watered steel. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like most batleths we see are very obviously just like a cutout of some plywood that's been spray painted silver. Yeah. And this looks way better, you know? Looks like it's got a full tang. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not going to break when you're ch- chopping a particularly tough onion. This is a moment in the episode that maybe evokes Temple of Doom the strongest because they've they've shot head-on at Kor and Worf with this sword in the foreground, and it looks like the situation where they're going to have to measure out a volume of sand. Yeah, and then this old knight comes in, and he's like, pick up the batleth that you think would belong to Kaelas, and it's not the jeweled one, it's actually the wood one <laughs> off in the corner, that, you know, because he was, he was a carpenter. Right. <laughs> Kaelas is a great carpenter. Yeah. yeah. A modest uh, carpenter, just indeed. A, just a modest man. Yeah. You know? He, uh, Defied a, an entire empire. <laughs> you remember when Kalis went crazy and flipped over the table at the money changers? <laughs> <laughs> he kicked all of the uh, kicked all the money changers out of the domes on Kronos. <laughs> yeah, and then he decapitated them with his his bat lift. <laughs> <laughs> the honor of picking this thing up for the first time goes to Kor, and. Uh, and it's a pretty cool moment, I think. How does it feel? Good. Very, very good. They don't get to marinate in this good feeling for long because as soon as they enter the VOM for the museum, uh, they are confronted with an old friend, an old friend who doesn't look like anything like our old friend. It's Taral, son of Duras, and uh, the yeah. nephew of the Duras sisters. He's all groansed up, Adam. Yeah. Is it the same actor or not? It is not. I wonder yeah. what that actor was doing where where he wouldn't pick up the phone. Not I'm not I'm not besmirching the actor that they got uh to play Terrell this time. Yeah, but just like why not have the the continuity of it? Yeah, so uh so before we had JD Callum and then this time we have Rick Pascaloni. What you want is an Italian Klingon, Ben, right? <laughs> Hey, yeah. I'm trying to steal your batleth here. That's a sharp batleth. <laughs> um, yeah, his idea is that uh, if the this house show of should Duras, be deleted. This is yeah, terrible. No, it's a it's a bad show. Uh, his his idea though is that the if the house of Duras are the ones that make the heroic return to Kronos with the with the sword of Kalos, that all of the power consolidation advantages that this blade would have for the emperor might actually be conferred on him like initially they're like oh you're trying to get your seat back on the council he's like no yeah i want more than i want all the seats how's that going for way more 
kind of an embarrassing moment for Worf too, because uh, Worf could have killed him when he had the chance and chose hey. not to. And it's a thing that Kor takes great umbrage with. Yeah, great umbrage. You don't just not kill someone when you have the chance. Yeah, that's not how Klingons act. That's how a Vulk would be. It's the right of vengeance. It's one of the most joyful parts of being a Klingon. You love it. That sounds like some weak Vulk shit. (laughs) Morn, morn, morn. Sweet, morn, morn, morn. You need everybody? Morn, stop. Hammer time. The Lethian is a part of Terrell's gang. Yeah, the Lethian is is totally like in the fist fight with them, and ca- like the, for some reason the Lethian is primarily concerned with Dax, yeah. and keeps trying to grab the sides of her head of her head like mid fight, like right. before she has been like knocked around enough to not be able to resist that particular attack. It's a weird form of fighting because you're so yeah. used to seeing chops and axe handles and and uh, mechleths and stuff being brandished, mm-hmm. but he's just staggering around like Frankensteining his hands at her. <laughs> it's yeah. weird. It's very weird. They beat the pulp out of a bunch of Klingons. They kill a couple. The I mean, like, the sword of Kaelas is being sorted at people. Yeah. And uh, and Worf has a mechleth, and, you know, a lot, of, a lot of fun Star Trek fighting and then, like, running down the tunnels in the Star Trek caves to get away from uh, from Tural and, and uh, his his Lethian homie. It kind of turns into a little bit of a road movie story from here. There's a lot of camping. Right. There's some killing of animals and eating them. There's a lot of like campfire storytelling. Yeah, they throughout. can't beam up because they're getting jammed. So uh, they've got to they've got to just kind of like make moves. And one kind of inconsistent element in this is that Worf takes a pretty bad stab wound in the first fight. And, like, some of the time he's, like, bleeding badly and it's, like, a big issue and they need to, like, they need to, like, deal with the fact that he's bleeding. And other times they're, like, uh, we'll just, like, hang out here for a couple hours and, like, cool our boots. It's, like, well, if he's bleeding, I don't think you have time to, like, take long breaks, right? How is it that Kira and Dukat knew well enough to bring the whole closer with them on their away mission and Dax didn't bring one with her on this one? Remember? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, they got to be closing these holes. Close my butthole while you're at it. <laughs> Why isn't that an every mission carry for for these away teams? That should be a thing. Yeah. It comes out, um, you know, in the midst of all of these arguments that Core actually kind of has a similar scheme to uh, Tural as far as uh, what to do with the sword once once they're back. The sword must rest in the hands of someone who has been hardened by battle, pure of heart, who understands loyalty and honor, a warrior like Kang and Kolob. Someone like you. I imagine that you hatch an evil plan like this when you're stuck on Vulcan <laughs> for as long as he probably was, just like bored to tears, surrounded by Vulks. Yeah. Volks who avoid you at every turn. Do you think that Germans listening to this will get like worried that we're saying something about them when we say Volks? I don't think so. Why why would they? Because they ride around in Volkswagens. I didn't make that connection. And if I didn't make the connection, I'm sure no one else would have. Yeah. That's one thing I've learned over <laughs> almost two hundred episodes of this show is that when, when I when I miss something, I never hear about it. The artist's intentions are good enough for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, 
Kor and Worf are really not getting along at all. And it's less about Worf's not taking the right of vengeance and more about fighting over the sword. Yeah. Because Kor is sort of betraying the idea of maybe not giving the sword to anyone else and maybe he should be the guy to run the Klingons. He's like that uh, that emperor is a is a clone and a puppet and probably not really like political leadership material. What we want is somebody who's like a master of a Dahar type variety to be running the show. <laughs> who do we know who has that kind of Dahar experience? Who do we know that is currently holding the sword that might fit that description roughly which of the three of us is also drunk right now <laughs> so yeah the idea that he might be the one to to take power is introduced and not long after that like Worf confides in Dax that he has felt since this quest uh, landed in his lap like maybe this is his destiny yeah it's kind of uh, the one ringing them you know I definitely got that vibe. Yeah. Dax is Samwise. She's the only one that's like totally immune to it. It's not the only Indiana Jones film referenced. You you were talking about Last Crusade. I was talking about uh, Temple of Doom. But this is now also Lost Ark because this Ark may have a magical power, but this has just a power that corrupts. Yeah. Through through proximity. And it, there's nothing magical about the sword. It's just the potential of its power. Yeah. Dax gets her hands on it at one point, and then she gives it back, and she goes, Here you go, Mr. Frodo. Only had it for safekeeping. <laughs> that was a weird moment, right? <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah. Never heard Dax talk like that. Weird app. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I really liked the little monologue Worf has about having felt like an outsider his entire life, like never human enough to be human, never Klingon enough to be a Klingon. Like when he went back to, when he went to Kronos as like an adolescent and like visited his cousin's family, just like being totally isolated and, and ostracized there and feeling totally alienated from the culture into which he was born. And I thought it was weird how he started telling the story and then he stopped himself and he's like, it's sort of like uh, what Nog's going through right now. <laughs> you know, Nog from the bar. You know, the kid I made fun of in the last episode, real piece of shit. Yeah. You know, I've got his tooth sharpener. <laughs> Good tooth sharpener. I hate that kid. You know what I didn't bring on the away team? The hole closer. You know what I did bring? <laughs> the tooth sharpener. this story he was telling about him being a child and and Kalis showing him this vision sort of gives him the confidence of his conviction about maybe thinking the swords for him yeah and not for core and this is a uh this is a thought that's been eavesdropped on by core who has been around the corner taking a piss yeah i mean they they see him over there and and uh and he says, I wouldn't drop a no eaves, Mr. Worf. 
Core was just firing like, two streams of hot piss into, <laughs> into the side of the cave. I didn't hear anything. It was very loud. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. You really want to do this here now? Okay, okay, let's do it. Let's do it. So now that, like, nobody trusts anybody, you know, like... Yeah. Dax's allegiances are very split because she's blood brothers with Kor, but also in Starfleet with Worf. At, at one point, they have what I will call a Mexican sleep-off, where <laughs> Worf offers to take the first watch, and, and uh, Kor's like, that'll be the day, piece of shit. <laughs> And, uh, and yeah, they just they like like they definitely don't want Terrell to get the sword, and he is still very much a factor. But right. um, but they also really don't want either one of them to get the sword. So you know, like they they get in a bunch more Star Trek fights along the way, amidst also like hunting and killing Muppets that inhabit the caves. And maybe the scene that's going to stick with me forever after this ep is where the three are are scaling a very thin rock outcrop they're like trying to get from one area of a cliff to another and this yeah, so they're, they're they're doing what uh, legend of zelda the wind waker would refer to as sidling along mm. the side of the cliff and at this point kor goes over the side and he's holding the sword of Kalos and Worf catches it. He catches him by the sword. And he's yeah. like, hey, there's a there's a ledge down there, dude. If you just let go of the sword, you'll be fine. And Kor doesn't believe it. And Dax can't see it. And so it's all it's all on Worf here. And so when Worf finally pulls Kor up by the sword, and they all see how little of a ledge there was to support him, it is a really bad look for Worf. And yeah. Worf achieves a kind of plausible deniability dishonor in that moment that I don't think that you get to shake off if you're him going forward. Like if the sword is not magically making people uh, want it the way the one ring does, yeah, it's a terrible look for him, I think. It is, but also Worf is established as a character that is willing to kill for a thing he needs you know like we've seen him like beam over to a klingon ship and drop a, a batleth into somebody's chest because they were a political problem for him yeah and i i mean like i think the case can be made that this is pretty consistent with how he has been throughout his entire character arc I don't know. It's it's kind of like a couple episodes ago when when like the worst way to die would have been to die by science. <laughs> like I think I think it's not a great kill to convince someone to let go of a sword and then fall to his death. Like at least right. at least have the dignity of stabbing Core in the face. Right. Yeah. That's that's a fair point. Yeah. Gr- grant him the dignity of that. Yeah. So do you believe Worf that cuz cuz like He's, That's why I making, say it's plausible deniability. Like, yeah, it's he's squishy. making the case that this is a this is a survivable fall to a little ledge, and Kor and Dax basically say, "No way could anybody safely land on that thing." Yeah, I mean, it's Dax that underscores that. You wanted him to fall. That ledge would have never supported him, and you knew it. You know, she's not gonna lie. She doesn't give a shit. It's like that's the kind of thing a Volk would try and convince you to do. <laughs> land on a little ledge like that. Probably wearing rocket boots. This fucking 
Vulcans. This conflict escalates right up to a sword versus dagger standoff between them. Yeah. But before they're able to, like, really start hacking each other to pieces, the Tural group appears, and there's another... (laughs) Another fight. <laughs> the Tural group, famous for their replicants. Yeah. Which are illegal on Earth, but uh, widely used in the uh, in the <laughs> off-world colonies. God, I, I feel like you had that chamber just ready to pounce on me. <laughs> I, don't, I, I mean, I just, yeah. when you said Tural group, that's what I thought of. Fair. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Tural and the Lethian are back, are back Star Trek fighting with them. They get to beat everybody. Uh, Terrell does not die, but in, in uh, at, at phaser point, Dax convinces him to shut off the jamming signal. She's also uh, stun phasered core and wharf. Uh, she's like, uh, they get they get like pretty close to killing each other, and she watches them for like a pretty long time before stunning both of them. Dax is so weird with her phaser in this episode because a few scenes before this, she uses the the sword of Kalos as a pillow and then holds her phaser under her own chin as she falls asleep. <laughs> yeah, some uh, some not great some trigger discipline from Dax, I think. Bad firearm safety practices on, yeah. on display here, and then uh, so so after they uh, they get phasered, our our next shot is actually one that sort of mirrors the shot of them discovering the sword, which is a, uh, you know, the camera is like centered on the sword with Worf and Kor looking at it. And it's in the little transporter hutch inside the, uh, the runabout. And, uh, and they're kind of like (laughs) saying their goodbyes to the, to the sword and, uh, and, and kind of like justifying it. Like they're, they're like, you know, this, this thing put a zap on our heads and, and, Clearly, it was neither of our destiny to like be the one to wield this thing and bring uh, unity to our people. This is insane, right? Like, this yeah. is a terrible plan. This is a terrible plan. <laughs> like, they should have just come home with it and done the first thing they said they were going to do, which is give it to the emperor, right? Like, Kronos is on fire right now. <laughs> Uh, like the high council is in ruins after their failed attack on the Cardassians. Like they speak in a detailed way about the good that the sword would do. Should it be produced and given to the, to someone in the council. Right. I, I don't understand this decision at all. I guess they're just, they're okay with the status quo. And that is something that I just can't get with. If they really care about the future of their world and their government they have to like give it to dax to give you know if she's such a collector of of klingon historical trivia and her understanding of their culture is so broad make it dax's mission it's a fucking waste she could also plausibly be its custodian for another couple hundreds of years to like wait for the time to be right or whatever if that's the way they wanted to play it point because she's gonna live so long i love that yeah so uh a weird decision to beam it into space given that it is like the most valuable and potentially paradigm shifting artifact in their entire culture yeah like beaming it into space is basically destroying it like yeah right because it's not likely to hit anything or land in a way that it survives no it's bizarre it's too bad it belongs in a museum ben (laughs) 
they uh, they throw it out the window and then turn to the everybody else in the runabout and go, no ticket. <laughs> they throw it out the window and it smashes against the Enterprise B and it's <laughs> at its christening ceremony. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Did you like the episode, Adam? <laughs> um. I like that this was a Worf centerpiece episode. This is this feels like it's a little late, but it feels like Worf is a real member of the crew now because he's been given his own story here. Yeah, we got he's a been, Worf episode. He, he's been kind of background. He's been B and C story relegated for a while. I like the Indiana Jones stuff about it. I dislike how unwilling it was to go to like lean all the way into those elements. I thought those would have added a fun flavor to it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but And also, this is one of those episodes where the insanity of the button kind of corrupts the rest of the episode that came before. So, I mean, there's a lot to like here. If maybe, if maybe you pull a John Roderick and you turn it off before it's over, <laughs> as he did yeah. in the, in the Predator movie viewing for uh, our hit podcast, Friendly Fire. What about you, Ben? I, I really agree with you about all the like, like how much more fun would this have been if they had really Indiana Jones did up and like had short round be a character in it. Like yeah. Worf cracks a whip over his head, all, all that stuff. It would have been great. I also wondered if there wasn't one bit of tension missing in that, like what if Dax as a trill, like what if she needed to administer something like insulin to her, to what's inside her and that you know the longer she's away from the Rio Grande the more danger she's in because of her inability to do that like it felt like there was the need for an additional layer of tension that wasn't here this is just a very straight ahead straightforward a story only situation yeah. well I think it was kind of like written in with Worf having that flesh wound but yeah they kind of like forgot about it a bunch of times you know yeah. It like goes in and out of being a concern. Yeah, something about that felt a little off. Like it doesn't like he gets he gets like a very deep stab wound and then is able to do a whole bunch of Star Trek fighting and running around and like rock scrambling despite that. Yeah. Yeah, Michael Dorn like ably lets that arm hang and he pulls core up by the other arm and like he, he does the things you need to do to act like you have a busted arm, but the story doesn't help him out there very much. Right. right. Um, but I, you know, on balance, I thought it was a really fun episode, and I agree that it is. Uh, it it really feels like Worf is here now. Yeah, here to stay. Yeah. You know what else is here now, Ben? What is here now, Adam? An avalanche of priority one messages. Can All you right. hear them? <laughs> uh, oh, there, yeah, there they are. Let's let's uh, let's uh, let's take a look. See what we got. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income. Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, we have a promotional priority one message here. All right. It goes like this: The Nature of Nothing is a podcast in the spirit of shows like After Hours and Obsessive Pop Culture Disorder where two friends deep dive into earth-shattering topics such as will we eventually become Transformers and what would you do during Red Dawn? 
in their quest <laughs> to understand the nature of nothing. Join one friend of DeSoto and one friend of nobody in what Kevin Uxbridge calls the favorite new podcast in my real doll factory. <laughs> wow. Uh, putting words in Uxbridge's mouth, which uh, we're no strangers to. Strong over here. review. Uh, so visit natureofnothing.com or search for it in iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. New episodes released every Wednesday. I'm going to look for that Red Dawn episode. Yeah, that sounds fun. It's a very fun. intriguing question. Yeah. I think we both know we'd be Leah Thompson. Mm-hmm. That might be Jennifer Grey. I don't know. Yeah. You got a P1 of your own to read? I sure do, Ben. It's of a personal nature. It is from Andrew. It is for Jeff, my favorite PhD immunologist. (laughs) The message goes like this. Hello, brother. This message is coming to you, not for any specific purpose, but just because I love you. I am and always will be the lore to your data. (laughs) That's ominous. Wow. I hope Oakland is oh, treating... Oh, so Andrew is the evil brother? Yeah. I hope Oakland is treating you well and look forward to having you as my best man in September. Always remember, as Lore says to Data, we're brothers. <laughs> That's one of the unforgettable lines from Lore, right? Yeah. P.S. It says, say hi to Kelly, exocomp, exocomp, exocomp. All right. A nice, a nice message of fraternity there uh, from Andrew to Jeff. Yep, a lot of exocomps also. Yeah. So, uh, I, get, I do get the sense that Andrew is slightly evil. <laughs> yeah, I I wouldn't turn my back on him if I were you, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, even though he's your brother. Yeah. Well, if you'd like to leave a Priority One message for anyone, uh, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It's 200 bucks for a commercial message and 100 for a personal message. And we really appreciate the folks that do that because uh, we use that money to cover the costs of making this show. Gotta get that, get that gold press action. Get that, get that gold press action. Am I right? Am I right? A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized 
to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! My Shimoda is something that I want to do in real life, but I don't know if I have the stones to do it. <laughs> Which is uh, earlier on in the episode in that bar scene where Worf is, is sort of like by himself and he's sad. Yeah. And uh, Dax brings Kor over to introduce him to Worf. Yeah. Uh, Worf, after the handshake, says, This is a great honor. And Kor's response is, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> it is so fucking great. <laughs> like, I would love, like, I would never do this, but, like, one of the great parts of, like, doing the receiving line after a live show for Greatest Gen <laughs> is, like, meeting people who are excited to meet you. And it would be the most dickish move for a stranger to be like, oh, I love your show, you're so great, and for me to be like, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> Yeah. It's so fucked up. Yeah. It's so in keeping with Kor's character, too. Like, his self-mythologizing is... That's two words that tells the whole story. It's kind of the same... Like, I always interpreted it when, you know, like a fancy guy in a movie is introduced to someone and says, Charmed, I'm sure. Like, I always interpreted it in that way. And, like, what that actually means is, like, as we get to know each other, I'm sure I will have been charmed by this interaction right like it's it's 
it's opt- it's not like I'm very charming and I'm sure that you're charmed by me. It's it's more like I'm sure that we will be charmed by each other. Yeah. But like I always got that vibe from it and and uh yeah, it's a great point. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never do it, to be clear. No. If I do it to you, I'm joking. Because it's some asshole shit. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. You can only and, and do it ironically. Core's a huge asshole. What about yeah. you, Ben? Who's your Shimoda? Uh, my Shimoda is the Lethian for the dumb and bad way he fights. He is a bad fighter. Yeah. If you're choosing a fighter in your in your clobber em up side scroll video game, you definitely do not want to choose the Lethian. That's yeah. That's a bad pick. He's only good when he gets the drop on somebody. You know. You want to pick Wolverine. <laughs> you want to pick Kanarayu. You want to pick Homer. And then deep, deep, deep down the list. Wow. The Lethian. <laughs> That's what uh, I think. Fun. Bad fighter. Bad fighter. What do we have coming up on the next episode? Next episode is season four, episode nine, Arman Bashir, <laughs> posing as a 1960s secret agent in a malfunctioning holosuite program, Bashir is all that stands between his trapped fellow officers and certain death. Well, it's a good thing he's a doctor. Yeah. Might come in handy. It could. It could indeed. Uh, Adam, we are currently on square 91 of the game of buttholes, the Will of the Prophets. Uh, we have one uh, hazard ahead, which is a wormhole. But otherwise, I think smooth sailing. And uh, if we don't roll a one, we are not hitting that wormhole, which goes down to a quark's bar. Do we know yet what happens if we go through the end of the board? Is there a new board after? Do we go back to one? We've gone back to one previously. Yeah. Remember we had that power hour? That's right. Yeah. I mean, that could be like, that wouldn't be the next episode, but that could be the episode after next. Hmm. If, uh, I mean, if it's programmed to where we are guaranteed to hit Mornhammered, before we recycle to one you know anyone uh, out there who's thinking of 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 criticizing me for not remembering the last <laughs> time we did Mornhammered, i think should understand that of course i don't remember that episode it was Mornhammered. <laughs> yeah yeah that All was right. too it took me like a a full 36 hours to feel right after that you're required to learn as you play roll why don't you roll them bones ben Did I win? Hardly. Oh my goodness, I've rolled a six. Hmm. Putting us on square 97. So uh, right. the only two things in uh, ahead of us, I guess, are uh, are an nth degree episode that we could hit via a wormhole and a Mornhammered Power Hour episode. Big roll. Nice roll. Big roll. I think, uh, I think maybe we should discuss or think about changing the board next time we go through it i think as we've done this go around we've come up with some new and interesting ideas for squares that yeah. we began talking about uh, with the admins so maybe uh maybe we can make something happen in time for that let me propose this to you by the time we record our next episode why don't we have done some independent thinking about that and we can make our marin discussing ways in which we might change this board I love it when this becomes work. (laughs) 
So thank you for that. I, you don't have to do anything. You just have to like have thought about it. <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds like an assignment to me. Forget it. Forget <laughs> I said anything, Adam. I apologize. I'll never forget, Ben. I'll never forget this episode either. We also never forget to thank the many people who make episodes like this possible. Yeah, we should thank all of our uh, contributors who've gone to MaximumFun.org slash donate and support the show on a monthly basis. We hugely, hugely appreciate uh, what you do for us. Uh, we also appreciate the folks that go uh, uh, you know, rate and review the show on uh, Apple Podcasts and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And uh, the folks that recommend our show to friends. One of my favorite kinds of P1 is like... Uh, is like a hey, thanks for introducing me to this podcast. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's real really nice. fun. That feels good. Uh, a show like this doesn't get made without uh, some friends, Ben, and some of our best on this here show include Adam Ragusia, who makes all of the great uh, interstitial music as well as the main theme song based on the work of Dark Materia. Yeah. We got uh, J.J. Lendl, who makes movie-quality posters on, on Sundays before every episode drops. You can find him on Twitter. And there's also the great, 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 great Bill Tilly, who makes uh, comedy trading cards about every episode that we produce, putting a great big hat on top of our tiny hat. Yeah. E- every time every episode comes out, and he's just the greatest. Very, very fun. So check all that stuff out. Connect with us using the hashtag GreatestGen on Twitter. Adam's at Cut for Time. I'm at Benjamin R. Uh, and uh, check out the other shows on MaximumFun.org. We've got a couple of others, including The Greatest Discovery and Friendly Fire, but there's all kinds of great stuff over there. And uh, I'm sure you'll find some other podcasts that you enjoy listening to. Yeah, now's the time to get on the Greatest Discovery wagon and, and watch Star Trek Discovery. That's what my recommendation would be. Yeah. Start understanding more of these jokes we're sprinkling into our mainline Greatest Gen programming. That's probably a mistake, right? Yeah. Shouldn't be yeah. doing that. Uh, why not? They're, uh, you know, like we, uh, we I think, partly uh, intentionally took Greatest Gen to a one-a-week schedule because we saw how much Star Trek was coming, so... In a lot of ways, Greatest Discovery is just the second episode of Greatest Gen every week. So I think uh, I think it's good to canonically listen to both. It's the second episode that we were excoriated for not creating. So there you go. Yeah, it's there. Any other thank yous? On Tuesday. Is that it? Uh, that's it. <laughs> with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine that uh, appears to have been shopping with Benjamin R. Harrison for its clothing. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.